Well, we're all chasing after something. Day in, day out, we go in pursuit of different things. It's just a matter of what it is. What, what are we going after? For some, it may be a job, a job. For others, it may be to find a better job. And maybe for you, it's about getting the reputation in the job that you've wanted for so long. Maybe some of you are chasing, if you're in school, you're chasing grades, right? Maybe friends at school. Maybe a girlfriend, boyfriend. Maybe just, like I said, friends in general. Maybe for you, you're chasing, you're at home, you're chasing a toddler. Or more uh, real is you're chasing that ideal family. You've got this idea of what it is and you're chasing after that. Maybe, no matter where you are in your age, this can happen. Maybe you're at a spot where, wow, what's meaningful to me now? What's my purpose? What's my significance? It used to be just those conversations happened when you retired. And now we're seeing a lot of them happen because things have been taken away because of the economy and other things, and people are chasing after the meaning of what's life mean now? Maybe it's relationships or companionship, but we're chasing after something, and the question is, what is it that we're chasing? And we're going to look at that question really, really hard over the next few weeks in a series called The Chase. And we're going to look at what are we chasing Sometimes we're blinded by that. What are we chasing? Why are we chasing it? How does it affect us as we're chasing it? And how can things be different? Now, the source of our study is going to be the book of Ecclesiastes. So uh, if you do not have a Bible, we want to give you one. The ushers will come down. You can just signal to them. If you forgot it, take one, leave it in the back on your way out. But if you don't have one, we'd love for you to go home with one. So just get one of those. But the Greek translation of Ecclesiastes means book, book of the teacher. And we're going to talk a lot about the teacher today. But before we do that, I want to have you answer a question. And here's the question. What would you do if you could do anything? What would you do if you could do anything, be anything, or have anything? Wouldn't that be the greatest opportunity? Wouldn't you like to have that? What would I like to be? Well, let's see. Jeffrey Mutai would not have won the Boston Marathon this year because Rob Perry came in and won it with a time of two hours, two minutes, and 59 seconds and left Jeffrey in the back because I was able to do that. Imagine a world where I could have everything you mean I didn't have to save for it? I could just go out and buy it? I got two cars with over 150,000 miles. The thought of just going out today and buying new cars. Or I got that old masonite on my house, you know, where you can put your finger through it like frosting. I could have siding. You know, all of a sudden it'd be fixed. What a way to live life. Not just stuff. But think about the, the um, like, smarts, having the, the smarts, your brainiac. Think about the charm, having that. 
And the teacher that we're going to talk about today had that very, very thing. Now, you, have you seen the movie Limitless? Yeah. I don't like one part of that, the idea of taking a pill to get... But this notion of being able to use, because Bradley Cooper was all of a sudden able to use 100% of his brain capacity, and he could do whatever he wanted. Now, that's fiction, but there's a real guy that we're going to talk about today that this was true for, that he could do and be whatever he wanted, and that real guy is Solomon. He's the third king of Israel. And I want to give you a little bit of his backstory. I mean, he came from a great, great family, David, his father. I mean, the greatest king ever. David, from just a little shepherd boy, was one of the toughest, right? We read, um, I'm not sure if you caught it, but he killed lions and bears. That's in there. We all know the story where he killed that giant, right? Took care of the giant. And then he got anointed as king and said to be the best king ever. So Solomon comes from a family. You know, one could say, oh, his family, he's got the family name. That's why he was able to have all of these things. It goes much deeper than that. The reason Solomon had all of the resources that he had and everything he could do wasn't because of the family. It was because of an interaction with God. You can read about it in 1 Kings but here's a little gist before we hear what God has to say about it. Solomon, about around age 20, he's king, and he, the temple wasn't built yet. So he's going to give his sacrifices. And he goes to Gibeon, and that night God reveals himself to Solomon. And God makes a statement to Solomon. He says, tell me, ask me for whatever you want me to give you. Ask me for whatever you want me to give you. Wow, what a question. Solomon answers this way. He says, this paraphrase, I am a young king. I'm 20 years old. And you have put me in charge of your chosen people, which are too many to even count. And I'm not sure I can carry out that duty the way I need to. And God, I am asking for a discerning heart one that will help me govern your people and to be able to tell right from wrong. Of all the things he could have asked for, he asked for discernment and wisdom. Here's God's reaction to that. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you asked. I will give you wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings." God answered his prayer, and then some. I mean, Solomon had knowledge. He understood the natural world. 
He knew he could describe plants. He could describe animals. He knew human nature. Read Proverbs. He wrote books. He had knowledge. Knowledge is just a bucket of information. But God gave him wisdom. And they're different. Wisdom and knowledge are much different. You can have all the knowledge in the world and be the most unwise person. Because wisdom is about knowing and acting on that knowledge. And Solomon knew what God wanted and he acted on that. He was so wise. And God didn't just stop there. He said, I'm going to give you even more. I'm going to give you honor. Basically, honor is people will like you. Not in a Facebook way. Right? I'm talking like him. And they loved him. People, you know, some of us say, I don't need people to like me. Come on. Be truthful with yourself because God, you know, God's prescription for life is relationship with him and with others. And when you cut both of those off, one or the other, or you feel it. And he was very, very well liked. And he had riches. He was loaded capital l and you wonder what's loaded mean in biblical times does it mean he had 50 camels no put his riches in today's numbers he had 874 billion dollars almost a trillion could you live comfortably on a trillion dollars <laughs> i sure could i'll just take a little bit of that so are you you need to grasp right here what Solomon had, he was wiser than anybody, greater than anyone. And he was able to, with that wisdom, make wealth. And he could make money, make money. And he was famous. Fame beyond imagination. His kingdom, which was for 40 plus years, he had peace. He had a lot of military power, so he could make peace. But he also had the charm to make people come alongside of him. And so that 50,000 square miles that was his kingdom, he was quite, quite famous. So what do you think he did with it, right? You're wondering, what did he do with all of this? The wisdom and the riches, what did he do? He, he did exactly what every one of you would do. He took 99% of his money and he brought it to his local church. He brought it, what? <laughs> no, he didn't. He had fun with it. And he wrote some of that down here in the book of Ecclesiastes. Look at um, chapter 2, verse 1. He starts to write about this. He says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. And if you look at verse 4 and 5 and 6, he says, like, I built this. I planted that. I made this, I bought that, I owned this, I amassed this, I became this. And it goes on and on. And then look at verse 10. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my work. And this was the reward for all of my labor. He lived the high life. If Reality shows were around when he was alive. They would have flocked to him, like MTV Cribs. They would have been there. 
What's his place look like? What's his lifestyle look like? Because he lived it up. It says, no desire unmet, no pleasure ignored. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I wondered why it took so long to build his house. I think it was 13 years to build his palace and seven years or so to build the temple. Now I know why he took so long. He needed all of that room. But could you imagine in that house if there was any jealousy or cat fights and it's going on and they come to Solomon and they say, fix this. He had not meant to deal with all of those needs. And just so you're wondering, if you're going, hmm, I like Solomon's plan, doesn't mean it's okay. God does not bless that. Just because it's in here doesn't mean it is right. God uses a lot of times putting stuff in here to teach us. And in this case, know that God meant for marriage to be between a man and a woman, a man meeting the needs of a woman and a woman meeting needs of a man. And so here, he is living it up and he writes about it. And he's chasing all of these things. And he had something to say about it all. And when the wisest person has something to say, you want to listen, right? Now, I'll probably date myself here because remember that saying, if E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens? When Solomon, the wisest person, has something to say, we're going to listen. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. After all that he, he says right up front, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, some of your translations may have the word, instead of meaningless, it will have vanity. But it's a key word. When you look at it, the word is used 38 times in Ecclesiastes. Over half the usage in the Old Testament is used right here. And it's a tough word to translate, but it means vapor, literally vapor. So it's like elusive, fleeting. That's what he's trying to say. It's fleeting. And you're thinking, how could the wisest man with all of those things, everything we spent five, ten minutes up front talking about, what happened? How did he get to this point? You're thinking there must have been like a, the equivalent of a stock market crash, right? That's what happened. Or maybe his, some of his wives left him. No. He was still famous. He still had the fortune. He still had the respect. But what we have in Ecclesiastes is a man reflecting back on life. Like many of us do when we get around my age and older, we look back and we say, what do we have to account for where I've been? And that's what he's saying. What do I have to show for it? In verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 11, he says, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. If the wisest, the wealthiest person says, I chased, I chased, I chased, and I came up empty-handed every time. If he says that, doesn't it make you ask the question, if I get what I want, will I really be happy? 
because this man got everything. If I get what I want, will I really be happy? You know, we know, right, in our head, we know that things don't give us meaning. They don't give us happiness. We know that. We know that if we get wealth, we know just they do those shows, documentaries. I love documentaries. Like on lotteries, when people win the lottery, they go back and look at their life, and it's a mess. So we know that it's not rosy. We know that fame brings complexities. We know that. But isn't there a part of you that says, yes, but I would still like to give it a shot? <laughs> right? I can beat the, I, can, I think I would fare better than Solomon. I think in this case I would. But I know, just with the, Solomon's experience and talking about stuff, I understand what it's like just with stuff to like stuff from an early age. I love gadgets. Part of my career was in software development, but from a young age, again, I'm going to date myself, but video games were um, a little console with two knobs that you played Pong, and the thing went like this, and you played the game. And all, I wanted that. If I got that, life would be great, right? You know where I'm going. I wanted that now in the handheld form because Mattel came out with basketball and football that you could play. If I got that, that's all I want, Mom, Dad. I got that. Then computers came out, and I got the little Sinclair computer. But then that wasn't enough because they came out with more memory, and I got the VIC-20. Then that was enough, and I needed the Commodore 64. And then that wasn't enough, and I needed the TI-4A. And then that was enough. PC came out, and then I wanted a Mac, and then I wanted an iPad. And I, Vanity, vanity, vanity. I understand what he's talking about, but yet there's still this piece of me that says I want to give it a try. But the reality is, is we can have everything we wanted, but still end up empty. We can have all the things we want, but still have nothing. And Solomon wants to pass words of wisdom on to us and we're going to come back a lot to this, chapter 12, verse 13, each week. Here's what he says. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So many of us want this solemn experience. That's what we want. But he's saying it's not about that stuff and all of those things and all of those experiences that's not the duty of man he's saying the duty of man is fear of god fear of god and keeping his commandments now when i say fear of god you're like <gasps> like terror right fright fear no that's not the way what the word means here fear of god means to hold him with respect in awe to hold god in that high position that God isn't this word that you use to curse when you're upset. That God isn't this person that you go to every so often because you're in desperation. Or it's just God time means one hour. and so That's not a life lived out in the fear of God. Fear of God means that your relationship with God is real and present in your life. And that you look at where you are, no matter how little, no, how much you have. 
where you've been, where you're going, and you say, God, you have given me the opportunity to be where I am at, and I thank you for that. Despite where I want to be and all these, thank you. You see, a fear of God, somebody who's living that out, wants to trust God and says, I give you my life, and I trust you with guiding it to meaning and to happiness. That's what fear of God is all about, that your life is different. People's lives are different because they came in contact with you. They see a difference, and they feel a difference in their relationship with you. You may have come here for the first time today. I don't know how you got here. I don't know if it was an invite from a friend. I don't know if it was the sign here at Falls River in Durant. Many times it is. Maybe it was the website. But what I do know, it's not a coincidence. It just didn't happen. There's a reason why you are here. And maybe you came to this church and you're hoping maybe church will be different. Maybe I will get what I want. Maybe I will hear what I want. And maybe I'll be able to get closer to God. And maybe by this point in, a couple minutes left, you're going, I didn't get what I want. I didn't hear what I want. And this may be the last time that I see you. Maybe you sit here And you've sat here before, week in, week out. And you're thinking, I'm just not getting what I want. But it's a familiar feeling that you have felt in other places before. Solomon would grab both of you and say, listen, listen closely. Do you really think that when you get on the other side of what you want, that you're going to be happy? Do you think you're going to be content? In the exercise at the beginning we went through, right? What would you do if you had money, if you had friends, if you had the spouse, if you had the job? Do you think that will make you happy? He's saying it won't. That alone will not do that for you. The real thing that we're chasing after is not something on the outside that's external. It's something on the inside that God planted so deep in our being and in our soul. It is a thirst to be in relationship with him, to be connected to him. And the answer to everything we're chasing starts at a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, because through that we get that connection to God that brings on a whole different meaning to things. It doesn't mean that we become perfect. Far from it. But we're on a course where we're saying, I'm getting out of the driver's seat and I'll do whatever you want me to, God, but I want you to lead my life. That's what I want, God. And it means finding those places and giving God the permission to say, where are those places in my heart where right now it's about getting, if I got, if I got this, then, 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 then. Finding those places and giving them to God. We think we're losing something when we do that. But it's in that process where all of a sudden meaninglessness and the chase and the forever never quenching your thirst, all of a sudden 
it starts to become quenched and life takes on something different, more meaning. And you may have come chasing meaning in life and I want you to hear this message that you can find meaning. It comes in Christ and he is patient. He is patient. And in this series, we will look at different things that we can chase. Wealth and fame and all these things. And they're all not bad. But when you put them in the context of fear of God and keeping his commandments, all of a sudden they take on a different meaning. A godly meaning. And that's where the meaningless goes into meaning in life. So I've got one challenge for you this week to go from here. And the challenge is come back next week. Simply come back next week. You can do one other thing. Go online, go to slash listen. And we put the small group questions out there. You don't have to be in a small group to get them. I would encourage you to be in a small group. But grab the questions from this week and go back to the text and just start to talk to God and wrestle through some of those. But come back next week. Bring somebody with you and let's together open God's word and wrestle with how do we live our lives in a way that is godly and right and makes a difference and turns meaninglessness into a life of meaning. Come back next week. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much that you understand what it takes for us to live a full and meaningful life. And it's our prayer, Father, in this series, The Chase, that you help us un understand what we're chasing after Help us to see those things in the course of the next few weeks. And then help us to understand where you're calling us to. And thank you that you love us enough to say, hey, you're running in the wrong direction. And you're patient and you draw us close to you. It's our prayer that we have the heart. That it says, I'm done running and chasing other things. And I'm coming after you. Teach us. We love you, Lord. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.